Hi, I'm Courtney Brown at Emory University. Welcome to my class in science fiction and politics. We are talking today about Philip K. Dick's novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Now, before we go into that, the, uh, the Vietnam veteran who uh, wrote us the emails for our class last week with Joe Haldeman's novel, The Forever War, made, e- emailed me again and made some additional comments. He said that Hugh City is actually pronounced Way City. So we were, it's, it's spelled H-U-E, but it's pronounced differently. So we mis- I mispronounced it. He also said that the Marines and the Army were drawing from the draft pool, and for a very short time, the Marines also draw, drew from the draft pool. It was mostly the Army, but mo- for a very short time, the Marines also did that. Very short time when they couldn't meet their quotas that they had to get from the local areas. Anyway, those are some interesting points. Well, we're doing Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Philip K. Dick is one of the most amazing writers. He's always unexpected. You never really know what's happening. And then when you think you've got it under wraps, you turn the page, and wow, you see it's turned in another direction. So on the level of simple theater, Philip K. Dick's stuff is really great. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was the inspiration for Blade Runner, the movie. So, let's just talk about it. We're talking about just the first half of it today, so the first hundred pages or so. What... What do you see about that's going on with this novel that might relate to a course in politics and science fiction? What do you think? What is the basic premise of the novel? Let's let's just talk basic plot. What's going on? Well, it had, the war had killed off all of, basically all of humankind, and the androids that were developed were sent off the planet, and when they came back, they just tried to blend in. Okay, let's that. start with each of your points, which are all great. The war. Let's talk about the war. What happens in his novel, or what did happen before the novel? There was a war. What kind of war was it? World War. A World War. World War Three. What kind of war was it? What kind of weapons were used? Did they use nukes? Yeah, it's a nuclear war. And the nuclear war produced dust. Which caused a nuclear winter. Yeah, well, actually, the deuced, it, it was a nuclear, the, the, the real issue that he's writing about in the novel is it produced fallout dust. And it killed things, all sorts of things. What did it kill first? Does anyone remember? That reminds me a lot of On the Beach, though. Mind you, what of? That reminds me a lot of On the Beach. On the Beach. Which was the... Yeah, the movie. Well, it was the movie, but before that it was a... Well, there was a classic novel, mm-hmm, I don't know, and mm-hmm. all people ended up taking cyanide pills. Yeah. It was really sad, but... yeah. It was about that. Yeah. Dust. Well, what happened first when the fallout started, when the dust started to fall? Because um, humans were the only species that got wiped out. It was like, I forgot. Yeah, there were species that got wiped Anyone remember what the first species were? The bird species. Which one of the birds? The owls. The owls, you're right. The owls were the first ones that actually bit the dust so animals became rare animals started to die off animals everywhere started to die off so when we have do androids dream of electric sheep where does the electric sheep come in they have artificial animals yeah they have artificial animals Uh, and and people and and People are supposed to have animals. Everyone's supposed to have one. If you don't have one, you can get a mouse or you can get a rabbit. But a really good animal is like a cat or a dog. And a really good animal is like a horse or a real sheep. And what if you don't have an animal? You get an electric one. You get an electric one. But why would you want to have an electric one? So you can pretend you have a real one. What's that? So you can pretend you have a real one. Yeah, you can pretend you have a real one. But why is that important? 
What pressures do you have? Why is that important? It's like culturally, the better animal you have, the better looked at you are. The better what you are? Socially, like the better animal you have, the more socially acceptable you are. Yeah, the more socially acceptable. And what and what happens when you don't have any animals? What is considered? What is your? What is, how do people consider you in the neighborhood? You're at the bottom of the barrel. You're, you're not just the bottom. Yeah, the bottom of the barrel is a good way to put. Not just the bottom of the barrel. You're you're a, a social deviant. You're not you're not considered someone who's socially responsible. Where they're supposed to take care of their animals at, at all costs. You're supposed to have an animal and take care of it and nurture it and feed it. And if you're really lucky, maybe breed it and have another animal. But and if you don't have one, you can't afford it or whatever. It's a keeping up with the Joneses issue. Well, you have to get one, so you buy an electric one. So, and our and our lead character in this in this novel is Rick. And what what animal does he have, or or fake animal does he have? I think he has an electric sheep. Yeah, Rick Deckard has an electric sheep. Okay, now that's the some of the basic elements of the novel. What is this about the androids? What actually happened? We have a situation of the the war. It produced fallout. Animals died. People started to die. And then what happened? They left. They left. They're saying, what else? How, where did they go? Mars. They went to Mars. So colonies were started. And there was a strong push for emigration to get out of the country, to get out of the planet. But when you went to Mars, what was the... A lot of the population had already died. What was one of the things that they did to encourage people to go? It's a lot of work to go to another Everybody planet and set Android. up house. What's that? Everybody got a free Android when they went or something, didn't they? That's right. They developed these androids, humanoid robots, made out of flesh and blood that had, you know, brains and the whole thing that were their servants. So we have a, a servant race that went out there. And then the servants improved as the models increased because people that wanted these things which was basically everybody on the colonies in the Martian colonies and moon and elsewhere they wanted to have these servants to do the work for them and so the better the servant the more capable the servant the more work could be done and so what happened was the companies that manufactured the androids made better and better androids until the androids became Kind of like the iRobot story, they evolved so highly that they eventually will overtake the humans. Yeah, there was. It was like the iRobot story. The 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 in the robots in iRobot actually became more like humans, but the robots were still metal. They were still distinguishable as things. If you remember in the iRobot story and also in the movie. Starring Will Smith. Which is a bad movie. Is that a bad movie? I saw the movie. I think a lot of people like it. I saw the movie AI. That, I that, that really relates to this book. Yeah. I Robot was a good movie. It just bore very little relation to um, Isaac Asimov's novel. Well, I don't know. It was, there was, it was an adaptation, of course. Like the novel I Robot had several short stories in it. Yeah. And some of those came up in the. Like similar things come up in the yeah. iRobot thing. Yeah. So it, like you couldn't make a movie out of that novel because it was just a collection of short stories. Like same characters, but one situation, then another situation. So they had to find some way to link it all together. Yeah, yeah. Adel's correct. So they had, they couldn't make the, they couldn't make a movie out of the whole iRobot book. But um, it was an adaptation. If you look at the movie carefully in the credits. It was, it, it's, I think they say inspired by or you know, adapted from or something like that. But AI, um, that was artificial like intelligence mm-hmm. by Steven Spielberg. That was a great movie, even though it didn't get enough 
no one really watched that much because of the long movie. But I mean, that showed he was this. It was this, here's this kid who's a robot but has human emotions. Like I remember this one scene, they're like destroying all these robots off, and they like put him up there. And this guy's like, all right, we gotta kill him off. He's a robot. And he's like, no, I'm just a boy or whatever. And all the people in the audience are like, it's like he's just a kid, leave him no, alone. Yeah. And he was like, this whole story is about all this kid wants is like the love from his mother, and she already has a son, but I mean, they never really accepted him because he was not not really a human. But I mean, yeah. he had emotions. He he got upset, and the whole that it was really interesting because I thought exactly this book. So I was like, yeah. It was a really great now. It was a really great uh, movie. It was one, I actually thought it was one of Spielberg's best movies artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and it was a not really a movie that was for kids because of the powerful nature of the loss of a parent that was really powerful when the mom leaves the child in the forest and says make your way back to the factory uh, learn how to survive by yourself actually I, you know he, she encouraged him to, to mix with the other robots that were not going back to the factory rather but rather going back to the just living surviving on the horse his pain it you know crying no don't leave me it was just that was too much for a lot of small cases some of the reviews mentioned that that's, that just, although you'd think a, a robot movie would be great for kids the uh, some of the scenes in that movie were really <coughs> powerful he's a good actor yeah Haley Joel, Joel yeah. and Jude Law, the male hooker robot. Jude Law is good in the movie too. He was the same actor that played in uh, what is it, Seven Sense or Six Sense? Six, Six Sense. Six Sense, yeah. Haley Joel Law is great movie too. Yeah, that was a very interesting movie. So these androids are a bit different than Asimov's androids or the Steven Spielberg AI androids because they are really almost indistinguishable from humans the ones in Philip K. Dick's in Philip K. Dick's novel you can tell they're androids because of a bone marrow test and also because of a psychological profiling test they react with certain stimuli in a certain way and it's a very difficult thing to figure out who's an android and who's not an android but it can be done okay so you have this this class of people, these androids, and why are they the subject of this novel? What's going on? Why? What is it about the androids? Why are the androids of interest in this novel? What are they doing that's causing people to be upset? They're trying to blend in. They're trying to blend in. And where are they now? They're on Earth. Are they supposed to be on Earth? No. no. They're not supposed to be here. They were originally designed for off-planet off-planet use okay and then they're here and how did they get on earth what was their how did they why did they come to earth what was their reason for being here why didn't they stay on mars because they were enslaved on mars that's right they were slaves on mars and so they were escaping what parallel do you see Philip K. Dick drawing with regard to the androids and politics in the United States, even though if it's not politics of today? The slave movement. Yeah, the slave movement. And so Mars, in this sense, with the new colonies, well, what was the United States early on? Um. They were colonies. And what were the arguments that were raised for settling the colonies? Remember the colonies were wild territories, Britain, yeah. more resources, um, get rid of like excess population. In from Britain, uh, but then how did slaves enter into the United States or into the colonies at that to time? To make like especially in the South was to produce the uh, textiles of the South. You know the well to grow things cotton plantation things before textiles the textiles actually were manufactured much in the north but the the raw goods the cotton was grown in the south but you must understand that the slavery was a northern phenomenon as well there were very large numbers of New York City slaves in what we now know as New York City used to be a rural place but slaves were absolutely everywhere they 
the the country evolved so that slavery was focused in its end on the south, but originally it was it was absolutely every place. And the argument for slaves, why was the argument for slaves? Why was the argument that they should have slaves in the colonies as compared with other places like Europe? Why didn't they why didn't they encourage slavery there? Why what was the idea about having slaves in the colonies? That might match to Philip K. Dick's novel. Cheap labor. Really cheap labor. Free labor. Yeah. And why was free labor needed? Because they had a lot of work to do. I mean, in, in the colonies, at least, I mean, they were starting a whole new civilization. Not that I'm advocating slavery, but I mean, they were starting a whole new civilization, and they needed someone to do the work, and they were too erudite to do it themselves. Well, uh, yeah. The, well, the thing about doing it themselves is, is, is yet another issue. The, the idea, the argument was that they needed the labor in order to settle the nation, in order to settle the country, in order to do the, uh, the, the work for the, for the farming and, and so on. And that there simply, it wasn't a matter of not being able to do it themselves or not wanting to do it themselves, but there just weren't enough people. They needed the workers, and so they got free workers. Now, if you think in terms of Philip K. Dick novel, well, that's exactly what the androids were. The androids were a slave population sent out to the colonies and to the colonies only. And in those colonies, they were used as workers, as a slave population. And as can be the normal situation with anyone who's enslaved, some of them tried to escape. And when they did manage to escape, they traveled on spaceships, concealed, hidden, disguised back to the United States. I mean, I'm sorry, back to the back to back to Earth. Now, what would be the parallel between slaves traveling between Mars and Earth in rocket ships, in technology, in devices, in vehicles, as compared with how slaves got out often from the South? The underground railroad. Pardon me? The Underground Railroad. Yeah, the Underground Railroad. They often took trains. They were snuck out in trains, often hidden in baggage uh, underneath things and so on. So they would get out of the South using... Pardon me? To Canada, right? Well, actually to the northern states. Or or as far as 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 Canada. But out of the South. They got out of the South, which is precisely it. So what we have is a parallel in Philip K. Dick's novel which really is very strong, very striking, with, the, you know, with our own history here in the United States. Colonies, slave labor used to develop those colonies, slaves wanting not to be slaves, escaping. This is, pre, this is, a, this is a novel that predates an android revolution in, um, in Mars, so it would be the period of slavery, of slavery in the United States that it would parallel, parallel the most. The whole the the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. What kind of economy drove the Roman Empire? What kind of did is it a capitalist, mercantilist economy? How would listen to it? What's that? Listen to capitalist. Mercantilist, you say? I thought it was what? I thought it was capitalist, but they had slaves. Yeah, it was a predominantly it was a slave economy. It was really not a, an economy where goods and services drove everything, where people had wages and they worked themselves up and they earned things that way. It was a slave economy. So, what really drove that Roman that 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 empire that um, the Roman Empire was the the possession of slaves in order to do vast quantities of free work. And eventually, the slaves started to rebel, as anyone who's seen the movie Spartacus <laughs> and others started to Imagine see. Much What's that? Gladiator is better than Spartacus. I'm sorry? Gladiator is better. Which one was better? Gladiator. Not gladiator, but... What is it? It didn't really talk about slaves. Gladiator. Oh, Gladiator. Gladiator. Not the oh. same much as Spartacus. Yeah. yeah. Spartacus was longer and more involved. Amistad. Oh, man. That's a tough more, movie to watch. It's, more it's a recent. great movie, though. It's more recent, yeah. Anyway, so the issues of slavery are big in this novel. Um... What is this only of relevance then to history? What's going on maybe now that 
might relate to this thing, even if it's not necessarily slavery. I'm sorry, go out of say it. It all depends how you define slavery. If you define it as free labor, then no. But if you define it as taking advantage of somebody who doesn't have a choice in the matter, then think of like all the industries moving out to the third world where they can get really, really, really cheap labor and not have to worry about like safety in their factories or anything. That's interesting. So you're talking about the comparison when industries, American industries, go to Mexico, say. Outsourcing. Outsourcing or India and get cheap labor. All right. So that's one thing that could happen. Uh, what else that might be relevant in terms of what Philip K. Dick is talking about to what's going on in politics in the United States? The Iraq War. How would it relate to that? In the same way, just the soldiers don't have a choice. They they might be fighting for one reason, but in reality, they're like they're being used for completely different motives. That's different though, because the soldiers voluntarily put themselves. No, but it's almost like they don't have a choice. They can't come back and say, "Oh, I don't feel like fighting for you know oil." I mean, they're kind of yeah, but they may kind of stuck. Like yeah, I know what you mean. Slaves, but in the same way, like they're they're being they like to. Um, in the same way, they're being like taken advantage of. Well, yeah, I can see his point, like with the reserves, because they didn't volunteer for active duty, but that's what they've been put into. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they volunteered because they were in a position where they could be. Put I know that, but they also never. Honestly, I mean, people that are our age that join the reserves right out of high school, well, I guess a little older than us, you know, before. 9-11 happened, probably never thought that... I mean, no one ever thought that anyone would make a huge terrorist attack like that on us. Or that the National I mean, Guard would be it. actually used for combat duty. Yeah. I mean, they didn't enlist to be used for content, combat duty. Yeah. Actually, the military is a institution of, uh, of forced servitude. Forced in the sense that once you volunteer, you're forced to do whatever they do, whatever they say. And so if you do make a choice, such as when you're out of high school and you sign up for the National Guard thinking you're going to be doing one weekend a month and stuff like that, you actually are really quite surprised that you you can't get out. And then when you're released, finally, after numerous chores of duty in a hostile environment, you can be drawn back, you can be brought back. So there's always a clause. They don't really let you go completely. There is a... The wait a minute, from the reserves. Well, the military is sort of funny. Once you're in it, once you sign up, uh, especially if you stay in long enough, there's all types of clauses where things can happen where you can get. Uh, for example, people who've been there for twenty years and then retire. In the clause, and they get a retirement pay. There's in the clause for when they retire, there's a little clause saying, "But if we need you." We well, yeah, you, you get put on what's called the IRR, which is the inactive reserve list, and they have never in the history of the United States called up a single man, woman, or child off the IRR. Yeah, the issue is, though, it can happen. Well, theoretically, but I mean, theoretically, I could get hit by a train walking down the street, but I mean... Yeah, but you have to understand, these theoretical stuff actually do happen. Up until just a few years ago, theoretically, no one in the National Guard would be shipped off for, for active duty combat. And should there be another... Should there be another terrorist attack, a big one, like a nuke, a nuke terrorist attack, which is which some intelligence people say is inevitable, uh, either a dirty bomb or a or a real nuke terrorist attack, then it would be very conceivable that the United States would do whatever it was necessary to attack whatever. You could very easily draw a scenario where the United States would attack Iran from Iraq, perhaps. Uh, Turkey would then invade what we now know as Iraq to capture the Kurdistan, so that to prevent a Kurdistan from forming. Uh, the Saudis, the Syrians would be involved. The U.S. could also end up invading Syria as well. Uh, so Iran, an attack on Iran, is very is very possible. If all that came to be, you might have a draft again. You would have a draft again, and all types of people that are on those wait uh, on those lists would be activated. So, and that could be that could be initiated with just one simple terrorist attack. So, you never really you never really know. But what what I'm really trying to push at is not something that's 
although the the military issue is interesting and it's it's there but what is happening to us currently in, that's in the news very much this week that closely relates to the to the novel with regard to oh immigrant party. labor immigrant labor yeah immigrant, I was waiting for I, someone uh, to I uh there was a just speaking of immigrant labor I was I flipped on CNN the other day and Lou Dobbs on CNN has come out in you know yeah. opposition yeah. to this whole thing very strongly and the they'd gotten the lead anchor for Univision on there and the two of them were duking it out Oh, it was priceless. I mean, yeah. she was calling him a racist, and and he was saying that you know she was the daughter of, of illegal aliens and had no right to speak. And Whoa. it was uh, uh, this was on CNN. It was it oh, was intense. Man, like that. It was intense. Yeah, it's really quite an amazing debate that we're going on here. Let's let's the, let's, before we get into some of the details of the novel, uh, read some passages and so on. Let me just touch base with the story of the day. In the front page of today's New York Times, it says, this is March 30th, Thursday, 2006. GOP risking Hispanic votes on immigration. Border issue is testing the long party courtship. The battle among Republicans over immigration policy and border security is threatening to undercut a decade-long effort by President Bush and his party to court Hispanic voters, just as both parties are gearing up for the 2006 elections. I believe the Republican Party has hurt itself already, said the Reverend Luis Cortez, a Philadelphia pastor close to President Bush, and the lead Hispanic Protestant, oh, I'm sorry, and the leader of a national organization of Hispanic Protestant clergy members, saying he delivered that message to the President last week in a meeting at the White House. To underscore the contested allegiance of Hispanic voters, Mr. Cortez said he also took a delegation of 50 Hispanic ministers to meet with the leaders of both parties last week, including what he called a productive discussion with Howard Dean, the Democratic chairman. The immigration and security debate, which has sparked huge demonstrations in recent days by Hispanic residents of cities around the country, comes at an important moment for both parties. Over the last three national elections, Persistent appeals by George Bush and the uh, and other Republican leaders have helped double their party's share of the Hispanic vote to about 40% in 2004, from about 20% in 1996. As a result, Democrats can no longer rely on the country's 42 million Hispanic residents as a natural part of their base. In a lunch meeting of Senate Republicans earlier this week, Senator Mel Martinez of Florida, the only Republican Hispanic in the Senate, gave his colleagues a stern warning. This is the first issue that, in my mind, has absolutely galvanized the Latino community in America like no other, Mr. Martinez said he told them. The anger among Hispanics has continued even as the Senate Judiciary Committee proposed a bill this week that would allow illegal immigrants a way to become citizens. The backlash was aggravated, Mr. Martinez says, in an interview by a Republican plan to crack down on illegal immigrants that the House approved last year. Now, what is this House approved, just recently approved, uh, legislation that he's talking about? Wasn't the border security legislation about how we need to toughen up our border security between Mexico because we're having too many illegal aliens? Yes, and what would it do? What would that Republican bill do? I thought it was going to... No, never mind. That's something else. Not immigration quotas. It is about immigration. What does it do? If you're an illegal an- immigrant, what does that bill do to you? Sends you back to Mexico. No, that, uh, the current current laws ship you back to Mexico or Put wherever you, you come from. What's that? Put you in jail. It makes it a felony. Oh, because right now it's a misdemeanor. Well, right now you're in the you country illegally the and they ship you out. But, I'm sorry, go ahead, Rachel. You just get deported. You You just get deported. But under the new bill, it's a felony. That's comparable to any other jailable felony offense. That's a major offense, like bank robbery and stuff like that. So is that what they're going to do, just put millions of illegal immigrants in prison? Well, that's what the bill says. But now, it's not just the illegal immigrants that it's a felony for. What else does the bill say it's a felony? If you harbor? If you not just harbor... But aid in assist in any way whatsoever. 
So if you tell them how to get some food, or if you hire one of them, or if you assist them in any way, give them advice, you are aiding and abetting, and you are a felon. I mean, you are a felon. You're create. You're committing a felony. That's a new popular pill. Pardon me. It already passed. That was it last. Didn't pass. That was it, last no, year. It, it it passed the House. Oh. It did not pass the Senate. Now the Senate Judiciary Committee has pu- has put out a new bill, and appa- approximately forty percent of the Republicans and all Democrats seem to be in favor of this new bill. Really? Which is, is it similar to this? No, no. no this the new Senate one's different. This new one is a massive amnesty for all okay. legal aliens okay. in the United States. Well, it's not just no. They're using the word amnesty as a swear word because they know everybody's against the word amnesty. So the people who are opposed to the bill are using the word amnesty, but in reality it's not amnesty at all. What it is is a a way that illegal immigrants can become cool. participants in the process in the system and after requires, eleven years. Yeah, it requires paying of fines and back taxes. Back taxes uh, and fine waiting in line for a, a long thing. So it eventually it, it it opens up a way for them to eventually achieve citizenship through a very long But how long are they process. I don't understand what they're for eleven years they're just felons? No, that, uh, the idea would be that if the Senate bill passed, or oh, some version of that, there would also be a guest worker program. That's another element of it. But if the Senate bill passed, then, assume, then assumedly the House bill would not pass. And it looks like if any legislation does pass, it might be a combination of those two. But it may not be. It may just be a version of the House bill that passes, which is which is big on border security, but doesn't at all deal with the illegal immigrants that are here. Now, you have to understand the illegal immigrants are not here by themselves. It's not just there's an illegal immigrant here. So if there are 20 million illegal immigrants, which some estimates suggest that's a good mark, how many people are actually affected? I mean, oh, more than, well, because a lot of people employ illegal immigrants. Well, not just employ, but what about family members? A lot of those, a lot of those illegal immigrants have legal family members through marriage, through children. Some uh, Mexican women, for example go into when they know they're just about ready to, they run to across into, the border. well they 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 when they're about ready to give birth when they are getting into labor they are on the Mexican side of the fence and when they think the birth is about oh, near yeah. they literally climb over the fence and fall on the other side because then the American police have to take them to the hospital and then their baby is I'm born in the United States and becomes an American citizen now they may get deported you know, a week later or a couple of days later, but at least the baby's an American citizen, so there's a future for the child. So, you know, there is a... a and, and there are many, many illegal immigrants that have extended relatives. I mean, huge connections of extended relatives. Maybe extending is... Maybe, maybe a, a good ballpark estimate might be 50 million people that are somehow related in some fashion to illegal immigrants. So, uh, you know, we're dealing with a uh, a substantial possibility that 15 million people could be felons. (laughs) Well, the the thing is, a lot of employers won't hire legal aliens. What does the bill do with regard to illegal aliens? What does the House bill do with regard to illegal aliens, with regard to employment? Is that the one that if you assist them... Well then, uh, well then, if you employ them, you're assisting them, and then yeah, you, and you do become be a felon. A felon, and you, well, you you too be you're 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 making you're do you're you're uh, you're making a felony. But is it and, as like and can go to prison? So employers would be risking prison as well. Go ahead. Is it just employers? Is it as bad as just even like helping illegal immigrants? Yeah, anything, any helping at all. In fact. I mean, like approximately you know two thirds like of the diocese, Catholic diocese in the United States, have gone on record formally as stating that uh, it is the obligation of all of their priests to to fight the law. So you're talking about, uh, you know, a, a major shift towards. Well, well, yeah, and the thing is that because all the most of the illegal, uh, the large majority of illegal immigrants are Catholic. Yeah. There are a substantial portion of Protestants, however, as well. Evangelical Protestants have been big in the Hispanic community for a long while. But you're right, most of them are Catholic, so it's a, it's a big issue. And the thing is that if they pass that bill about the felony, a lot of that stuff is already in place. Um, because I know that general contractors, um, my dad was a general contractor, had a crew of eight guys. And um, 
he kept copies of their green cards in his car with him at job sites, and they did have INS inspectors mm-hmm. who come around to construction sites and demand to see a general contractor and demand to see the green cards of all the employees. And if you don't have your green card, they have a paddy wagon and they take you away. Yeah, yeah. And what this new bill on the on the House side would beef that up very substantially. So the risks to the employers is not just that they would take the employees away, but they would take the employees and the employer away and throw them all in jail. And that's a very significant risk. Business people are not very favored, favorable towards that, towards that bill because of that. But it also puts the business people in the position of having to verify employment. There's a bill that's working its way through the Georgia legislature and is about to become law, apparently. We will see how it turns out. And in the state of Georgia, they're thinking of making it so that if a employer hires someone, they must document that that person has legal status or they cannot claim that person as a tax deduction. For example, when you hire someone, you don't have to pay tax on the money that you're paying out of salary. Well, George is thinking of making it so that you have to pay taxes on that unless you can be the equivalent of an immigration and naturalization official that documents those officials. So it's making the employers into ad hoc immigration and naturalization people checking the checking the status and a lot of employers are saying we are not trained as immigration and naturalization people we're trained as construction people or we're, we're trained as drugstore people I mean or we're, or we're trained at gas stations how are we supposed to be able to verify all of this to stuff so so clearly but anyway that's the issue the issue of whether to chase these illegal immigrants down and make life hard for them now, what happens when the illegal aliens are here? What, what, what do they do? What kind of jobs do they do? What, what is the processes? Go ahead, Adel. What? They do the jobs that we don't want to. They do clearly. That we feel we're they, above doing. Pardon me. That they do the jobs that we feel that we're above. Like. Well, that's the popular myth that we're above doing. Um, clearly, they do things that for which there is not a ready labor pool. Yeah, and they do things for a lower wage. Yeah. For a lower wage. That's why employers even hire they they don't get paid much. I mean they'll take anything just to give back to their families possibly in Mexico. Yeah, uh, Paul Krugman, the opinion columnist for the New York Times wrote an op-ed. Wrote, wrote an op-ed the other day and he mentioned that if there were not so many illegal aliens, there would be Americans to take those jobs, but you'd have to pay them more. Uh, but not necessarily too much more, but you'd have to pay them more. So there's some wage advantage from the employer's point of view to having illegal aliens here. Uh, I didn't know whether to agree with that because there are a lot of aliens in places for which there really is not another labor pool. They would have to actually ship people from other areas of the country to get them into those areas and the people just simply don't exist to do the large people levels of labor in some of them, in some areas. I'm sorry? People will like, move to where there's a job. No, not the kind of jobs legal immigrants do. Why would you move to get... If you have no other choice. Uh, oh, I mean, I know, I know, but what, but what you're saying is that there aren't that many people in in a centralized location in the U.S. where that's, where that's necessary. I mean, you have this giant illegal immigrant pool in the Southwest that... That yeah, there are disparate groups of small numbers of people around the U.S. who might take those jobs if they were moved down there. But I mean, right there, you have you know probably half that population of illegal immigrants you were talking about. Ten million of them live in the Southwest, probably more. And so you're talking about this ready pool. Well, I'm not denying that it's, an easy yeah, it's, it's more than that. If the illegal immigrants weren't there then people will be forced by need to get a job to take these jobs out. Oh, definitely, but the employers might not be able to pay them. Because, I mean, whereas if you're a U.S. citizen, you're obviously going to demand minimum wage. You're going to say, I want six twenty-five an hour at least. And illegal immigrants don't have the don't have the platform from which to bargain. No, they, the illegal immigrants typically get paid minimum wage or a little better. The issue is if you had to pay legal... Americans to do it, you'd have to first ship them to the area, you'd have to offer them compensation for moving, you'd have to establish housing for them, and you'd have to hire them at a much higher wage than than minimum wage. But typically illegal aliens, 
Except that if, if they're working in sweatshops and things like that, then all types of things can happen. But typically, illegal aliens working on construction sites and so on get get minimum wage or better. Oh, illegal aliens working on construction sites get double minimum wage or more. Yeah, yeah, but overall, it's a lot easier for employers to have illegal immigrants working then. Yeah, they have that. But now, what is our position as the government? It's one of, as you mentioned, sending the paddy wagons around, uh, catching them. There was a recent sting operation, for example, that was highly protested by the Hispanic community, where the immigration naturalization police came in, the immigration police, and set up a meeting for a certain company to talk about health and safety regulations. And they did that just in order to get everybody there. And as soon as they got everybody there, the police swooped in and checked everybody's green cars and took them all away. And the Hispanic community was outraged with that because they said, now you're going to make it a fearful thing for people to worry about job safety. And so when they have meetings dealing with job safety, people who simply won't show up, which will make the job environment more ra- more dangerous. The, uh, the government has said that they'll stop doing that procedure, but they always come up with new ways to harass, chase after. So here we have a main character in this novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Rick Deckard, who's... What is his job? He's a hunter. He's a bounty hunter. He's a cop. He's a cop that goes out as a bounty hunter. And what does he do when he finds these illegal immigrants, these android illegal immigrants? He retires them. He retires them. What does retiring them mean? He's absent. He kills them. (laughs) He kills them. And it's not considered death because they're they're considered robots. But in fact, they are a life form, and it's very difficult on all levels to tell if they're robot or non-robot. You you have to do special genetic engineering tests on their bone marrow to find out if they were android or not. So, in in fact, they're they're living beings. But what is the entire government doing to a to sort of rationalize that it's okay to retire these people or to... Making them inhuman or saying that they're inhuman. Yeah, they dehumanize them. They dehumanize them. They tell them, they they publish that the fact that people aren't really humans, they aren't really life. And if you recall back to the debate about slavery, it was always an issue of whether slaves were really, you know, full-bodied humans. In the Constitution, how much was a black person worth relative to a white person? It was person? the three-fifths compromise. compromise. Yeah, about three-fifths. <laughs> that was, they actually gave a numerical value to it. And so you weren't really a full person. You were three-fifths of a person. And so these androids are in that same situation. Now, with regard to illegal immigrants of the current type coming from you know other countries into the United States, how do we... How do we rationalize the idea of making them felons? That all oh, they're, they're using taxpayers' money and they're not supposed to be here. Well, they're they're claiming services to which they're not entitled, and in fact, they're demanding. What was it, C- uh, Caesar Chavez Day? They got all these illegal immigrants out in the street, you know, demanding all these rights. And, you know, what was ironic is that Cesar Chavez was completely in opposition to illegal immigration. I mean, these people are demanding rights that are that are incumbent upon the taxpayers to pay for. Yeah, actually, Cesar Chavez was not totally against illegal immigration. He was... He was he, he was understanding the the complexities of the situation, but he also he also understood that you had to protect labor union uh, rules and rights, and and that uh, he was opposed to people being hired who were illegal and as a means of busting labor unions. It was a complicated thing with Caesar Chavez. It wasn't so clear. But you're right. Um, the the issue of of how to treat illegal aliens is a, is a big thing. But do you see how we treat illegal aliens? How do we treat them? Like, for example, if the police were to come up to you and check you, just arbitrarily, to come in and say, who are you, what are you, let me see your papers, and if you're not going to... And, and have a, a paddy wagon outside ready to, ca- to carry you off. How would you feel about that level of interrogation? Now, remember, 
in here. Do androids dream of electric sheep? What does Rick, the lead character, what does he do when he when when Rick Deckard finds someone that he thinks might be an android? What does he do? Like how the the opera singer that he gets, what was her name, Lulu or something like that? What was that? He arrests them. Well, he before he arrests them, what can, what can he do? She was prepared, she was in the middle of an opera, ha- having a break, and she was you know looking over her script. And what did he do? Walked in. What's that? He just walked up to her. He walked right in. He walked right in. And what did he do? Do you remember? Walked right into her dressing room, put down all of his machinery and says, I'm going to give you a test. It'll only take a few minutes. Right in the middle of the opera, during a break. She was going on stage in just a few minutes. Now, how would you feel if someone could sort of pull you out of class or snap you between two classes and you're, you've got only 15 minutes to get from one class to the next and someone just says, stop what you're doing, sit down there, I'm giving you a test. And if you fail this test, I'm going to kill you, take you away, put you in a paddy wagon, send you someplace else, and there's no recourse that you have. Well, I, I, fundamentally though, those people, illegal aliens, to some extent expect that. I mean, they are, after all, breaking the law. I mean, there is a law that they are breaking. But now look, let's put yourself in the situation of one of these androids. The androids broke the law. The law said that they were supposed to be a slave population that was to live under whatever conditions their masters would seem is, is, is okay, and the android said, I don't like that law. Well, in the case of the androids, that's right. No one is forcing illegal immigrants. Now, wait a second. Let's think of this. Let us say they are living in Mexico. Right. They have a totally corrupt police system. They were born there. And born into a situation with a totally corrupt police right. system. Right, they've got Vicente Fox. A, and totally, co- a totally corrupt governmental structure. A... A absolute hopeless economic future. Nothing for their children except... You know how people often make a living in, in Mexico City? They take a cup of gasoline and then they pour the cup of gasoline into their mouth while they're standing on a street corner, light a match underneath their mouth and blow out as fast as they can. And it produces a huge flame coming out of their mouth. And if they don't do it just exactly right, when they breathe back in, the fumes will go back into the lung and they burn alive. They have to do it exactly right. A lot of people burn alive. But they do that, including all the fumes and everything, and then right after that, they take a can and they go around and ask for contributions because they entertain people who are driving. So, you're talking about that kind of future. Now, according to the rules, according to the laws... They are to accept that future. Now, you have to ask yourself. You can say, look, the rules are. You were born in Mexico. You have to do it, no matter what. Those are the rules. Look, they're written in black and white. Let me see your ID. See, you're Mexican. That's it. doesn't matter that you were born here or not. That's what the rules are. If you were born here, you can't come. This is a fence. Do you see this fence? It is a fence. This may be the land of milk and honey, but you can't get to it because you were born on that side. So your future, your children are going to be uh, 40% me- uh, mentally retarded because of the lead in the air. There's huge amounts of lead in the air in, 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 in Mexico. You're going to have to live in, the, in a situation where they're going to, the, the women will end up in prostitution. Uh, young, the boys will end up in gangs, uh, and and that's just the way the rules are. Now, if you think about it, think of them not as Mexicans, but just as human beings. If you were born in that situation, if the rules say that they must live in that situation, do the rules really make sense? Well, no. And would you be really blamed if you were there and wanted to get out? Would you... On a level of any understanding of social justice, forget national rules, laws, would anyone in a moral sense blame you 
for wanting to get you and your children out of there. No, no but the issue is not morality. But they'll take their chances regardless. And what are those chances? The chances of walking, the chances of escaping from Mexico and walking across the desert into Texas is is a hurdle beyond all measure. I mean, they die they die in the in the deserts out there mm-hmm. from dehydration. It's as great as taking a boat ninety miles from Cuba. I mean, very similarly, I'm taking a boat and risking the sharks, or from Haiti. A lot of those people simply die. So the thing is, not whether they're breaking a law. No one's arguing that they're not breaking the law. The androids broke the law. But on a level of social justice, was it really a terrible thing that they broke the law? It's true they broke the law. They were here. They shouldn't have been here. It's like slavery. I mean, running away, they broke the law. And it was by law, they had to go back. By law, they had to go back. Frederick Douglass had to live as a slave. What was it, 28 years or 25 years or something like that? He had to buy his way free, finally. Imagine that. This is a man who advised, I think, two presidents who... uh, was the ambassador what he was the u.s ambassador to haiti i mean he was you know a huge intellect uh, he ended up being a very wealthy man as well and frederick Douglass, let alone um he had to buy his own way out now just imagine that having to buy your own freedom uh just because the law said hey i'm sorry but you really can't be i don't care if you're going to be an ambassador to anybody or an advisor to the president or whatever. The rules say you got to pay. Well, you're technically a slave. I mean, literally, is it... You're, it's, it's apples and oranges, though. Androids, right? They were formed as a subservient slave population to the, to the humans, right? And I would agree that... I think anyone would agree that slavery of one group of people to another group of people is inherently wrong, okay? So the androids, that was wrong. With the slaves from Africa in the early United States, that too was wrong. Okay, that was one group of people lording control over another group of people. But now we're talking about illegal immigrants. Those people are free in their own country, and then they're trying to force their problems onto the United States. That yeah, is one way of looking at it. Of being born so you What's that? Like we we were born here, we don't have the same outlook as they do. So all the arguments we make. Like against it is coming from a very much closed mindset. But even if we make laws, we don't make laws. They're gonna t- a lot of illegal immigrants will come regardless. They're like, fine, deport us, fine, do this. They'll take their chance. Mexico is in that bad of shape. Ten million will come. Three million get caught. Two million get arrested again. Notice that no one in the entire in the entire immigration issue, no one is talking about a Marshall Plan to build up the economy and the, and the security of the government in Mexico. <laughs> none, no one's talking about solving the problem. They're only talking about stopping the leakage of the problem into the United States, which is... It's because the Marshall Plan will be a, will be a long-term thing. But, like, but, even, but even a long-term plan needs a beginning. Well, yeah, and no one's even talking about it. We don't believe in short-term. But the rest doesn't believe in long-term plans. Well, the thing is, you're standing up American supremacy and saying... You know, you're coming out of both sides here. You're saying that we ought to uh, we ought to not attack Iran and not take American supremacy to another level, but at the same time we ought to control Mexico's government. They're an independent, sovereign nation. You can't you the can't say that. Plan was like American self like superiority, but they were coming. They were help. They don't like control the government. They help to fix. Oh, I know, but I mean, Mexico is a sovereign nation, independent, and unless they you know are distinctly asking for your help, you you can't go in there and just... You can offer it anyway. You can offer it. I, 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 assure you, I assure you, if the United States government went to Mexico and offered it uh, a massive amount of help for restructuring itself... Mexico wouldn't say no. I, I don't think the Mexican government would say, go to heck. <laughs> they, would, they would very rapidly say, thank you very much, let's begin. But... The, the thing that we want to bring back to the android population that Jason raised so so nicely is that he was saying, but there's a difference. This is an android population that was created for the purpose of slavery. Which doesn't make it right. I'm not... Which I'm not but, nonetheless, <laughs> but now just think, is every it really... Every book is tied in the Matrix. <laughs> What's that? So every single science, science fiction book is tied back to the Matrix. Oh, it's tied somehow back to the Matrix where... Yeah. Well, look, just think of it, though. A population that you genetically engineer 
is that really much different than anything? You can genetically engineer a, a human right now. You can change offspring right now through through you know mild forms of genetic engineering already. Does that mean that any genetically engineered person is then your property? Remember, this is a big issue because this is the issue that's being raised with cloning. The big fear with cloning is not that you will make a copy of somebody, but that you will make a copy of somebody and then say that you own that person. And the, the, the fear is two things, that you will make real-life human beings that are copies of yourself, and if you have enough money, kill them. Well, did Because you then you can harvest their parts, and you can, you can install their parts in your own body and not have any fear of rejection. Did you see the island? The island is the classic movie along those right. lines. You immigrated. But that's a that's a very that's a very real problem, though. Right, and um, well, I mean, well, I mean, the but whole now they were created, though, so they were just exactly like these androids. Oh, I'm not saying that the androids those those people were created uh, by by wealthy people as clones of themselves for body parts, and they eventually became free, and you know, went out and and you know, in the end, they they're free, you know, and I think that. Here, it's, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. These people were created, but that doesn't make them the property. Well, actually, according to the rules, according to the laws, that does make them their property. They're the property of the people who bought them. The well, the androids that's how slavery worked. I mean, and no one argues world. that slavery was a beneficial, well, beneficial, we'll leave that one alone, but whether okay. it was a good or moral institution. Okay, now look at it in, in terms of just human beings, just people, controlling other people. Aren't we a society that does that by nature? We are, are a society that controls other humans. We, we, we want to control them by determining how much we think they should get paid, how much we think they should, uh, or anyone should get for Social Security, whether, how much people should get for any crime. It's always one group wanting to control another group. For example, in the tax debate, we can even take it to the, to the extent of the tax debate, the extremely wealthy in the United States over the last 10 years have, have had incomes that have you know, increased. I think Paul Krugman mentioned in one of his opinion columns recently that their, uh, their incomes have increased over the last 10 years over 400%. Whereas other people in, in lower income brackets, and we're not talking poor people now, we're talking 300,000 uh, income year annual incomes to, to 50,000 yeah, annual incomes, they have, in, in, you know, increased, you know, just a small fraction of that. So the extremely wealthy are are just raking it in. Now, if that's the case, you can sort of say, well, why would we be thrown into debt as a nation just to benefit an extremely small population that's that's gaining huge income levels? Well, you can sort of say, well. Some people then are controlling other people. I'm sorry, what were you saying? Another Al Gore is all the another percent. Al Gore issue. But this is an issue that is not going away. You can actually measure it with a statistic called the Gini coefficient, which is often used in social science. Income inequality. It's not quite as bad as it is in Brazil, where it's extreme, extreme, extreme. And that Brazil is headed for a revolution. I mean, they're just going to fall apart because of this. They're already having extreme problems, and it's going to get worse. And that what you eventually happen is that the underclass eventually gets caught up in drug wars, and then you move from that into kidnapping of rich, of rich people. That hasn't happened yet in the United States, but if the income inequality continues, there's no reason to assume that that wouldn't happen, so that the rich, the very super wealthy, would end up having huge expenses in hiring border people and guard people. You'd have bodyguards absolutely everywhere. You'd have to have armed camps around these around these wealthy people. And that's, that's what happens when the society decays to the level that it has at Colombia, in but Colombia and okay. Brazil. And but what about like the that. idea of the poor keep doing what they did to make them poor and the rich keep doing what now they did to make them rich? Now, that's a good question. Are the poor really doing something to make themselves poor? Or is there a society that tends to foster certain types of growth among the population with certain types of income distribution. Is it that the illegal immigrants from Mexico are doing something to make their situation so dire in Mexico? Are they really responsible for their fate? Now, this connects directly to the android population. Did the androids do anything in Philip K. Dick's novel 
to make them have the fate of being a slave population. Yeah, they they were created. They, didn't they were created, but they did they did, did they do anything? No, exactly. They didn't do anything. No, simply this is the point I'm trying to raise with you, Jason, and others. The people who are the underclass, who are being taken advantage of, this is the question that you raise so carefully, which is, did they do anything to get them into that situation? Now, Jason, you seem to suggest they did. Well, no, I think we're apples and oranging again. Androids? You're comparing the poor to a slave population. I'm I'm comparing them on the level of exploitation. Okay, well, obviously you're going to exploit the slaves. I mean, that's that's what people do when they have slaves. It's unfortunate, but that's what happens. Um, I would argue that no one exploits the poor. Who who exploits? I mean, yeah, they do. I mean, what the what are the poor? The top one percent of income earners in America pay like fifteen percent of the taxes. How are we exploiting the poor? We're getting eaten alive because we're wealthy. They have the money to actually pay for taxes. Well, I know, but the thing is, the thing is, we're we're taking a disproportionate portion of the tax load, and, and we're being penalized because we did something right and are wealthy. And and was it you who did it? Like, or was it like your parents? Oh well, family. I mean, I know what you mean. Obviously, it's like it's, it's not even the wealthy people; it's the middle class landowners. Like, well, in the middle class too. Where I come from, a lot. A lot of people have farms. They own a lot of land, but they don't. I mean, they're not rich, and they're the ones being taxed more because they have so much property. I mean, the exploit. I mean, if you want to talk about exploitation, I mean, the poor people aren't being exploited by the wealthy. The wealthy are bearing their. I would. I would argue, Jason, that the history of commerce and all societies would leave an unmistakable trail that when a group is vulnerable they are always exploited for example when there are minors if there are not strong laws and enforcement of those laws absolutely every time those minors will be victims of poor enforcement poor safety regulations they will be in fact if you look at the early part of the 20th century and the late part of the 19th century the great labor movements involving luminaries such as Joe Hill, this, the person who wrote songs uh, for the labor movement, for example, dealt heavily with mining issues, and they were horrific mining disasters. The recent mining disasters that we've had in the, uh, uh, in the United States, when investigations happened, they found that the employers were A, violating all types of safety regulations. Why? Because they knew they could get away with it because Washington was not doing the inspections. So since they could get away with it, they didn't. Now, was... That's corporate exploitation. Well, wait a second. Was that exploitation? Yes, it was. It was. It was corporate exploitation, but the difference between corporate exploitation and governmental exploitation is very different. I mean, there's, there's a large difference there. I mean, what, what are we talking about? Governmental exploitation. We're about, well, with the tax structure, we're talking about governmental exploitation of the poor. With that particular example, you're talking about corporate exploitation of its employees, which is a different thing, and I would agree that corporate exploitation of its employees does occur quite frequently. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think we were g- moving in the direction of saying the tax code is written to exploit the poor. What I was saying is that the the very rich are exploiting the system to the to the to the limits in order to avoid you know paying the bills that the country is in running into way. we're going into debt if you're not paying the bills you go into debt and the debt in the united states right now is rising at, at historically high levels not just levels but the rate in which it's rising is just right off the scale well, I mean, on a I mean, historical I the basis. governmental debt is increasing somebody's got to pay for those what are the things. rich doing i mean i don't understand what the rich are doing to ex- to they're actively lobbying, actively lobbying in order to get all types of favorite aspects of the bills through Congress, signed by the president, who's never vetoed a single thing, so that they don't have to pay taxes that they used to have to pay. Now, what we're actually saying is that whenever you have a system, you can exploit the system. And what do you exploit? You exploit that which is vulnerable. Now, the vulnerabilities can be found in the tax code, but whenever you exploit vulnerabilities in the tax code, you're going to end up hurting some people. Who's going to pay for those taxes? No one's going to raise the taxes of the wealthy 
to pay back all the billions of debts, the trillions actually, of debt that's being racked up. So what's going to happen is they're eventually going to have a gas tax. A gas tax as proportional of the income is going to ha- is going to fall you know, lopsidingly heavily on the sides of the middle class and the poor. Because those are the people who are going to have to be spending huge proportions of their income on a gas tax that is being paid not to re- develop renewable resources, but just to pay off the debt that has, been, that has been going in. Other taxes are going to be raised. Are the taxes going to be raised at the high income levels? No, they're going to be raised at the lower income levels. And they're going to be raised on people who were not responsible for the cutting of the taxes for the wealthy in the first place. So what you're going to have is one group exploiting another group, but not yet. But not yet. They're waiting. So the point is, the, what I'm trying to get at is, what we have is all actions help some people and hurt others. Well, the, the wealthy are trying to keep more of the money that they've earned. Now, if the government can't figure out how to quit spending money that they don't have, why is this a problem for the wealthy? Because the wealthy control the government. Now, listen. Now, let's no, go to, no, let's go to very let's, let's small number of extremely wealthy people control the government. But wealthy... As in, like, the 10 people in a smoke-filled room? Or wealthy, as in the 10 million people who make up the top, you know, percent of the income tax structure? Uh, what we're going to start, we're going to finish Blade Runner, or I'm sorry, we're going to finish Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep <laughs> on Tuesday. We've actually, we have actually started, because we've been, we've been attaching the, the major emphasis, which is an Android population. And one of the things I'd like you to think about when you finish the novel, make sure you've finished it by Tuesday, is is the android population absolutely any different than any other vulnerable population? The fact that they were simply created, are they any different from a vulnerable population? And once we come to the understanding that they are simply a vulnerable a vulnerable population, then we can address Jason's main concerns, which are. Uh, does the actions of any group that goes against another group, one action leads to another, uh, does it have the implications with regard to that vulnerable population? There are other issues with regard to the bla- to, with regard to the androids, Philip K. Dick's novel. I'd like you to think about it. We've been really focusing just on the concept of a vulnerable population, but there actually are a variety of other issues. And when you finish the novel, try to think of them. I will raise them if you don't, but. Try to think of them totally different from the vulnerable population issue. Okay, great.